morning, our, we're, we're entitling this Our Story. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that, how long I've been doing this again. And I don't want to sound like the old guy, you know, uh, but it, I've been preaching for almost 35 years now. And, you know, I would dare to say that a lot of people can't remember on any given Sunday what my text was, maybe probably not even what the title was or the verses that I read from. But what people do remember is the stories I've told. Uh, they remember those stories. And uh, I was thinking just the, the uh, few Sundays ago when I did read that first testimony from Sean McConnell, who's uh, the traveling nurse now. He's out in California. But he was saying that when he was uh, working in El Paso, Texas, he would ride right by Rudolph Chevrolet. And he said, I always, it made me laugh and remember the story you told about that place. And, and, uh, and that's what people remember. They remember the stories. And everybody in this room has a story. Uh, you, you have yours and nobody else has yours. Yours is unique. And it's made you, you. It's made you who you are. Uh, some of the parts of the story has not been so great, right, with all of us. And some, but what it shows is God's redemptive power and God's redemptive nature. And God always wins. I like to say it like this, no matter what hand he's dealt. I'm not a card player, really, but uh, I don't even know how to play poker, so don't invite me. Hallelujah. But, uh, but God wins uh, with whatever hand he's dealt. If you... If you do as we sang this morning. If you, you surrender your life to him, let him, you know, God don't want to be your co-pilot. Amen. He wants to be your pilot. He wants to, to lead and guide and, and direct you. And, and, uh, and so I just want to talk to you a, a little bit about uh, our story, your story. And I want to encourage you. It's something I mentioned, I think, last Sunday or the Sunday before last, and I I was reading this week, I actually just came across this, it was a, supposedly a recent uh, study, and I don't do much of this, but it was by the Institute for American Church Growth, and they did a recent study, and they interviewed, uh, questioned rather, 10,000 people, and, uh, and they asked them what was responsible for you coming to your church, whatever your church was, to what made them come. And this is how that those 10,000 people uh, replied to that, to that survey. Uh, 2% of them said they had a special need in their life. Something had happened. They had a special need, and they just came to that church. Uh, 3% said they just walked into the church. They just came. They, they saw the church, saw the building, saw the sign, and they came. 6% uh, said they liked the preacher. Isn't that, isn't that cute? Six percent like the preacher. They said they'd go give the preacher a try. One uh, percent uh, said they liked Sunday school, and the church had Sunday school, and they went to that. Three uh, percent said that they had seen the church's program, some type of program they were offering, and uh, an Easter program or some program, and they they decided to go watch that program and started attending there. But seventy nine percent of the people of those 10,000 people said a friend or relative invited them to church, a friend or relative. And that's not shocking at all, and I've been doing all, all the years I've done this. That stays consistent all the time, that somebody, you know, reached out, somebody invited. And, and we've got so many ways now that we can tell our story, that we can invite people. Some of you have done that, and I appreciate that so much. I've seen it. I've read it. 
And we can all be storytellers now because you, if you're on Facebook or some social media platform, you have an opportunity to tell at least part of your story, and, and you can tell people what God's done. And that's what the Bible is filled with, particularly uh, all the Bible, but particularly the New Testament. And most of us in here remember the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. I won't go there and read that. But here is a guy that had such a messed up view of who God really was. He, he writes in the scripture and he said he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he said concerning the law, he said, I was a Pharisee. He said, I was the stock of Israel. I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. And he starts laying out all of his accolades and his religious training. And, and he was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel and the great uh, teacher. And, and Paul was an educated uh, religious uh, person. And he said, as far as he said, as my, speaking of himself, he said, as far as my zeal, I persecuted the church. Because uh, he believed that they were wrong in this belief in this one called the Christ. Uh, Jesus, and so he persecuted those who followed him and and took up his his faith, so to speak, even to the point where he stood by and held the garments of those who stoned Stephen to death, and uh, he was there adding his agreement with people that were being uh, uh, persecuted and 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 even sometimes, in Stephen's case, executed. And yet this man who had that kind of a view of God, and there's a lot of people today, they do a lot of bad stuff in the name of God. And, and it, I'm not talking about it has to go to the point of killing somebody, but there's people that do a lot of bad stuff on Facebook and social media. But they think they're doing God a service. Uh, they think they're doing good, and, 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 and what they're really pushing is their philosophy or their uh, religion or their view, and, 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 and the view of God is, is the most important revelation that you and I carry. And so, of course, on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Paul has an encounter. He actually has letters. He's going to, to bring more Christians into the bondage and to persecute more Christians. And God, you know, in this case, intervenes. And actually, God says that he had looked at Paul and, and basically, you know, I'm putting it in our language, wanted him on his team because he was such zealous for the wrong cause. And so he has this encounter with the Lord. It's called the Damascus Road Encounter. And a great light shone from heaven. And actually, most uh, scholars believe it was none other than the face of Jesus, because he saw Jesus. He communicated with Jesus. And Jesus actually appeared to him in a vision. But when the Lord appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and other places, it says his face shone as bright as the sun. And, and, and in that encounter... Uh, Jesus speaks to Paul, and, and actually some people get kind of confused, and they say, well, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. The Bible never says that. Uh, Saul was the Hebrew version of the Greek Paul, but, so, but Jesus communicates, him, uh, communicates to him in that language and, 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 spoke, to, and spoke to him in Hebrew, uh, his native tongue, and said, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? And what God was saying to him is when you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. That should let you know how personally God takes the things that happen to you uh, in your life. And, and so he took notice of that, and he said, you're persecuting me when you're persecuting the church. And he said, it's hard for you to kick against the gourds. In other words, they were, so it was a symbolism of, of them poking an animal with a stick trying to get it to go. And, and, and he, he has this encounter with the Lord that leaves him blinded. He gives him instruction that said, go down to a certain place, to a street called Straight, and there you'll meet a man 
uh, and, he'll, and his name is Ananias, and he'll pray for you. And Paul was blinded for three days. He could not see anything. He had, the Bible says he had to be led by his own, you know, somebody had to lead him by the hand. And, and I think it goes uh, worth revelation to say to us that the word Ananias uh, means Jehovah's favor or grace. And so isn't it interesting that the man who, that God would use to preach the message of grace like no other, because uh, remember when Jesus came, he demonstrated grace, but he preached the law to those that were under the law. But the apostle Paul, who being a Jew, was sent to the Gentiles, and he preached the message of grace, and he, he unfolded that so uh, powerfully in the book of Romans. And he carried us all the way through, start to finish, with the message of grace, and he did also in all the epistles. And, and, and he, he, he was the man that God used to bring the message of grace. And so uh, isn't it interesting that when he went into this, he was led into this house where he met this man called Grace, Ananias. And Ananias laid his hands on him and Paul's eyes were immediately opened, the Bible said. And I want to tell you something, that's when people's eyes really become open. When they, when they hear the truth of God's grace, when they hear that message, their eyes will become open to the grace of God. I had a preacher call me this uh, uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, I guess it was. And uh, many of you would know if I called his name, and, and just a precious brother used to attend here many years ago, and now he's pastoring. But, uh, and I didn't even realize that, but he told me, he said, you know, he said, uh, even though it's been probably over two years since I've talked to you, he said, I listened to your messages. He'll probably listen to this one. And uh, he said, he said cause, and this is what he said to me. He said, once you've been exposed to the message of God's grace, he said, there is no other message. He said there is no other message, and and yet he's in a in a affiliation or a church. He was saying that as far as a denominational system, probably would not be so big and open to him. But he said that's what I'm preaching to him. He said I preached the other Sunday that that uh, that sin is a is a noun, not a verb. Guess where he heard that at? You know what I'm saying? And and, and so you know sometimes I need to be reminded that that God's using this ministry, this church. And the influence of that message is going out. And I want to encourage you to tell your story. Uh, and because that's what people's going to mean, you know, like, that's what they're going to listen to. Some of you have got stories of addictions that God's brought you over. Some of you, I mean, everybody's story, just we could spend all day. But you've got a story to tell. And sometimes you compare your story with other people's and you don't think it's you, uh, very important or very influential. But I want to tell you it is. And, and, and so I want to I do, I'm probably not going to be able to do this all in one Sunday, and maybe we'll do this a couple of uh, Sundays, maybe two or three Sundays. But, but I want to talk to you about your story, and I want to encourage you in that this year, that you tell your story. And don't just sit on that. Don't, and, and, and it's not just a ploy as a pastor to try to get you to invite people to church. But if we want people, if we believe in the message of God's grace, God, God told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he wasn't saying that just to preachers and apostles and prophets. He, he said that to all of us in Mark 16. And he said, well, you say, well, go into all the world. Well, whatever world you live in, just your world, your neighbors, your, 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 you know, the people that you come in contact with. Because everybody in here has got a story. And God's going to bring you opportunities to tell it. You, you just have to have the confidence to tell it. You don't have to be some eloquent speaker. A lot of people, you know, they say the number one fear is public speaking. Number two fear is death. People rather be dead than do what I'm doing right now with a mic in their hand. And that's the truth. 
That's a, I didn't make that up. That's a, tr that's a truth. You know, every time that they survey that, they, the number one fear is public speaking. If, you know, if I handed you the mic and said, get up here and talk, I mean, it would just freak you out. And you don't understand that I was that same way. For I used to take a zero and rather get up in front of a class. Can you believe that? And look at God. And here God chooses me to publicly talk now, you know. And, and uh, but, but everybody here, this year, I want you to just make it such a, such a, 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 a thought that you're going to tell your story to somebody. And, I, and you'll have influence in that. You invite them to church. Invite them to church. And, and, and you don't have to be able to just lay out, the, you know, the Roman road or the gospels. You, you, you just tell what Jesus did for you. The Bible says in Revelation 19 that the, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, the, you know what what that what that means literally the word prophecy in that context means uh, duplicate to do it again, and when you tell your testimony, what you're actually doing is you're charging the atmosphere for God to do that same work again in somebody else's life. When I, I've seen it over and over, I've told stories of of healings and the things that I've got to see God do in, in, in my life, and and I've had those same miracles uh, uh, duplicated. Uh, even in that moment, and and you know, you, you, sometimes we underestimate the power of just us telling people what God did in our lives. In other words, if I had somebody invited today and I was telling them, you know, they were giving their testimony about you know salvation, we would we would want people to be saved in this service, wouldn't we? But if you tell testimonies of healing, you, I mean, there's an opportunity. It charges the atmosphere. Atmosphere is important. It charges the atmosphere with faith to believe God. And so I, I just, uh, I remember, you know, a lot of times people ask me this and that, and how, you know, how you, how you know you're called to preach, how you know this, how you know that. You know, my family, we, you know, we were not uh, church folk. I'm, I'm talking about my mom and dad. Now, my, my grandfather was a holiness Baptist preacher, and a lot of you don't even know what that means, but just take it, it was very, very legalistic. And he, it, you know, they were doing the best that they knew how to do with my granddad didn't believe, you know, they didn't, you know, everything was wrong. You couldn't, you know, my grandmother couldn't cut her hair. She couldn't wear britches, you know, pants. So, I mean, uh, no TV in their home. Uh, it was very legalistic. And I remember growing up as a young boy and it just, you know, that was just, a, you know, she, no makeup. Just, I mean, just, uh, you know, and then yet I would see some things, you know, grandmother always had to, you know, wear a dress. And then we'd go fishing. Sometimes she, you know, she had pants on under her dress. You know, and I, you know, I guess getting in and out the boats, and all, she was still doing. But I'm like, if you can't wear them, you can't wear them, even fishing. Does it say in there you can't? I mean, even as a kid, I thought this this is not consistent here, and, um, and you know, and and, and it just you know, but that that was that was the surrounding. So my parents were around that, and so in their minds, they had been exposed to that, and it was just too hard. They couldn't live it. Uh, they couldn't be that. And and it was just it made both of them miserable and uh, and, and so they we, we just we didn't go to church and I, I, we grew up that we just didn't go to church and, and we we lived in Tifton a few years then my dad got transferred to Vidalia we lived up there three or four years and then we got transferred back he got transferred back with his company back to Adel and we were, and I was twelve years old my brother ten and my sister was like eight or something you know younger and and we moved to this little house that my grandmother owned and. And they remodeled it, and we, they, we, you know, we, we back in, in, in the hometown. And a lady and a guy across the road. Sometimes you don't think stuff is a big deal, 
But the reason I'm probably standing before you today preaching the gospel is because of a lady that lived across the street from us. And I was 12 and she was 10 and she went to a particular church and she taught Sunday school. She was an older lady. Back then I thought she was ancient. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but, and her husband was real vocal. He would mow his yards with a push mower and he would just holler out, glory to God or hallelujah or something. I thought first time he'd run over his foot with the lawnmower or something. I didn't know what he... But that was his nature. He was loud and boisterous like that. And he would be mowing the yards and just be shouting out praises to God. And I thought he was a little, you know, touched or something, man. This guy's weird. And because uh, we just hadn't been around. Now, I had grown up and all the way to 12 years old, we just really, we had little spurts. Maybe we went to church, to my grandparents' church or this and that. But but we just didn't go to church. And uh, and and But this lady invited me and my brother uh, well, actually, our whole family, but my parents didn't participate. But she said, "Why don't you go? Y'all want y'all go to Sunday school with me?" And 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 so she said, "Y'all can ride with me." And it, well, what she used as an incentive to get me and my brother to go, she said, "Every Sunday, I put a quarter inside the Sunday school lesson, and I'll have my seats, and I'll have the lessons laid out in the seat, and you just come in, and if you pick the right chair, there'll be a quarter in there." Now that don't sound like much. Now people wouldn't even pay attention to it. But man, you could buy a whole lot of candy for twenty-five cents down at the store when I was. That's in the early 70s, you know, 71, 72, something like that. And so, uh, man, we would go, and uh, one Sunday I caught my brother in there going through all the lessons for everybody trying to find out where that quarter was. It's no, it, was a, it was a clue of his, you know, endeavors in the financial industry that he's in today, I guess. But, but we, we, we started going, and my sister didn't go. My, my parents felt like I guess she was too young, to, you know, to go. But me and brother went, and every Sunday we, we, we would go with them. And, and, it, and it was that invitation from that lady that ended up causing a funnel for my whole family to come into the kingdom of God. And you never know how, what, what you do as a person when you reach out to them with the gospel and you, you, you invite somebody. It's just something as simple as that. So we started going. And Sunday after Sunday, my parents, you know, would see us leave with, these, with the neighbors across the street. And you know what that was doing? It was making them, you know, realize that they needed to do something. And it started slowly. It started with my dad. My dad then, he started going to where we were, were going. And I remember even as a 12-year-old, and, and I pray this kind of gives you some hope as parents, but as a 12-year-old with no really religious training, no Bible knowledge, nothing, God started dealing with me for, for salvation. And I didn't know nothing about the Yeah, I didn't know anything. And I remember I, the church we were attending was building a new uh, church, you know, in a different part a town building a nice new building and so forth. and But I was under such, I guess you would call it, you know, the drawing of the Lord at 12 years of age that, that I remember I remember when we started moving the furniture from the old church to the new church. And so the pastor would work us. He would, he, he would have us, you know, helping and stuff. And so I was riding in the back of a truck and we had had some chairs that we were on. And I remember that night, I just, I just for some reason I remember that. I told the Lord, I said, I'm going to get saved but I'm going to wait and do it in the new church. I don't know. That was dumb, isn't it? But I remember that. It was such a drawing on my heart, and I did just what I said. I, I, uh, I accepted Jesus one of the first Sundays that we got into the new building, and I don't know why I did that, but that's just my story. And I received Jesus at 12 years of age. I was born again. I remember being 12 years old and being baptized at the church. 
My brother was 10, got baptized the same Sunday as me. And, 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 and so then my, my parents came to watch me get baptized. And they started coming to the church. And, and you know, and, and it's too long to play by play. But my, you know, suffice it to say, my whole family, extended family, ended up in that church. And everybody started coming. And our lives dramatically changed because my dad realized you can live this. It's not that religious stuff that he had been exposed to. It's, and, 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 and even though there was a lot of legalism even involved in that, but it was so much, it was such smaller compared to what we had been, been told that it was. That it was even, even some of the older people would say, where well, they compromised, they went to that church, you know. And, and, uh, but, but we, you know, just coming into that knowledge of God. And, and then, you know, when I got, you know, around 15 years of age, uh, you know, I did like some do, and, and I, I, I went away, you know, just quit going. Got, got those keys to a vehicle, and I knew you're not supposed to drive 15, but we, we were doing it back then in those days. And, and, and we was on the road, and I just didn't go to church. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, but come back to God at 19 years of age. And, and, and God will, like we sung today, God will never leave you. He, he's always there. And, and you know, and, and I remember that when I was, uh, you know, what got, you know, a few years later, a couple years later, got married, and we, and Jill and I started our life together. And, and, and God was dealing with me. I was a paramedic. I want to tell you, nobody ever voted me in my high school annual most likely to be a preacher. Okay, I promise you I didn't get that one. That was not a category, but I, I wouldn't have got it if it was. None of that kind of stuff. And it just, but, but God began to deal with me, and how it all started was just uh, reading the Bible one day. And I was reading, and I want, I want to encourage you. Now, how God deals with me, I just pray he'll use some of this, and, and you'll just see how God deals with people. Now, listen, God's going to deal with you in, as an individual. God knows what you need to do and what you need to hear to respond to him. And God's going to use a lot of different ways. And one of the most wonderful things that God's ever done in my life is he's used the gifts of the Holy Spirit, spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And those gifts, it names nine of them there. There's more than those gifts, but in that location in the Bible, it names nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It names the word of knowledge, the word of faith, the gift of, of the working of miracles, the gift of prophecy, speaking in tongues, the gift of, of the interpretation of those tongues. Uh, and, and, and it names all these, these gifts uh, that God has there. And, and, and the gift that is such a blessing to, to, to the church at whole is the gift of prophecy. Because you hear me talk about it often, that prophecy, the Bible says the gift of prophecy, it causes you to be edified, which means to be able to be build up, to be encouraged or to be comforted. And everybody in this room probably needs one, two, or all three of those today. I know everybody needs to be built up because the world has a tendency to tear you down. You need to be built up, uh, built up in, in, in your faith. And I'm not talking about some false building up. I'm talking about the Word of God going into you and strengthening you and equipping you uh, for, for what God has called you to do. And I remember uh, being in that uh, little trailer that Jill and I lived in when we first got married. And, and I remember reading the Bible one day, and I was reading in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and beginning in verse 12. And it starts out and it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example unto the believers. And in word and in faith and in doctrine, you know, and God goes on to say, you, you give yourself wholly to these things and, and in, until I come. And I took it that is until the rapture, till the Lord came. 
And it, it was just so real. And, I, you know, it's like you hear people. I mean, he's heard somebody say the Word of God just leapt off the page or it just became so real. Well, that's a real thing. It's called the Word becoming rhema, the logos, the Word of God becoming rhema, which is revealed Word to you. And even though God used by the power of the Holy Spirit to write that through the Apostle Paul's hand to Timothy, yet in that moment God was speaking to me in 1980. In the early 80s, 81, 82, and God used that. And there was that thing that came on me that day that I knew God was calling me to preach the gospel. And it terrified me, really, just to be honest. It terrified me, not so much the thought of me preaching the gospel, but the thought of me telling my wife I was going to be a preacher and not a paramedic. Because she didn't marry a preacher, she married a paramedic. And I thought that might be a bad deal for her. You know what I'm saying? So I just, I never spoke to her. I didn't, when she got home from work that day, I didn't say, hey, God's called me. I think God might be calling. I never said a word. I never said anything to anybody until three and a half years later. And for three and a half years on the inside, and that's, that, that's just me. That's just my dumbness. Not, you shouldn't do it that way. But I didn't talk to anybody about it. I, I, just, I just wrestled with that thing. And God used so many things to, 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 to bring me to a point of where I knew that I knew that I knew that God had called me to preach the gospel and that I could stand out in, a, in with boldness and do it. And so God would deal with me and God would give me things to, you know, and I remember we had this guy that, uh, you know, we, 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 that was going to come and preach a revival at our church. And our church seemed like literally, I don't, I'm not, it's not an exaggeration, we pretty much had a revival every month in the church I grew, you know, was raised in. And that's the truth. We, my, our pastor, he believed in revivals, and we'd always, you know, and I don't mean a revival go two nights in Colorado. I mean at least minimum of a week. I, I've been in many revivals that would last five, six, and eight weeks at the time. Uh, just, just, I mean, it's just the way it was. And, but they, there was also a passion and a hunger. And I remember that, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, you know, it says, earnestly desire the gifts and especially that you might prophesy. And so we had a man that was one of the men leaders, and he encouraged us with that verse. And he said, let's all these men, let us seek God for the gifts. He said, let's, let's do what the Bible says. The Bible said for, that we're to earnestly desire the gifts. So let's just ask God to pour out those gifts upon us. It'd be like a kid asking for a gift for his birthday or, or Christmas. And he said, let's as children, let's ask God for those free gifts. And so we started having prayer, and, and in those days, we would, it was customary for us to meet, you know, an hour before church started on Sunday night. Church started at 6, we would, the men would meet at 5, and we would pray for an hour before church. Isn't that something? You heard of ridiculous stuff like that? It's called hunger and passion. And, we, and you're not earning anything, but, but we, we, we would get together and pray for God. And I remember on a Sunday night, we started, you know, this guy was going to come and start another revival. We'd, I'd never heard of him, never seen him. You know, didn't know anything about him. In those days, I sung in the choir. You remember choirs? And I sung in the choir. And page 92 in the Greenback Hymnal, page 92 is just a little talk with Jesus, make everything all right. You see, some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm talking to the old heads in here now that knows what I'm talking about. And, and, and so I sung in the choir. And, and we'd sing two songs, and then the pastor would have somebody to come and take prayer requests. And so a lot of times I was the prayer request guy. You know, the pastor looked at me and said, They'll take prayer requests. And I'd come to the pulpit, and I'd say, anybody got a prayer request? And I really, you know, that was pitiful because you'd get all kind of crazy mess coming out of people, you know, and they'd be telling you, you know, remember Aunt Susan, she got a warp back. I mean, you know, you, you'd get all kind of weird stuff. And, and, uh, and eventually they kind of cut that out. But I remember, and the reason that's important to the story is because when that preacher got up to preach that night, 
He said, the guy that took the prayer request, he said, where is he at? As he looked over the congregation. And I was back to the, on this side on the back, and I raised my hand. He said, stand up. And, 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 and I, we didn't know what it was because in my church, our, our, our theology didn't really make room for prophesying. They called it a word of knowledge or a word, you know, word of wisdom. And, 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 and really didn't have a paradigm for prophesying to people. But yet that's what the guy did. And he spoke to me in, in very specific terms. And, and he said, God, and, he, and this is how he started. He said, Behold, the Lord says, Behold, I've given you the gift of prophecy. Be not, be not afraid to speak that that I have given unto thee. Don't look to the left nor to the right, but keep your eyes upon me. And speak that that I will put into your mouth to say. And so right then and there, it was God again confirming to me that he had called me to preach his word. And, 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 and I remember after he prophesied to me, he said that to me, you know, he said, I want you to come down here and I want to lay my hands on you. And, he, and what he was doing was biblical stuff. He, Paul said they laid hands upon them. And Paul said, I desire to see that I may lay my hands upon you and bestow some gift upon you. And he laid his hands upon me and declared that God had given me the gift of prophecy. Well, I didn't know what the gift of prophecy meant. I was young. I didn't, I didn't know. I thought it meant Jack Van Ampey, you know, Russia attacking America or something or Israel or you understand what I'm saying? I mean, and 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 I, that's that's to me what prophecy meant in those days. And and I I, I would you know and I thought well God's going to use me to talk about those kind of you know things. Well, it never happened. But you know what started happening to me? God started having like sermons come to me, and I remember I would write them down. And and I remember one night I told my wife I said I said it's just like all this stuff's coming to me. I said you know if you was a preacher you could preach this stuff. And I didn't even realize what God was doing. And, and, and then as time went along, I began to kind of doubt that. Well, God ain't calling me to preach. I must, that was crazy. And you're just going on with your life. And then I remember that, that uh, a guy started coming to our church that had been in prison. And uh, he'd been there for quite a number of years. And it was a miraculous deal. We didn't know, didn't know the guy, didn't know the guy. And the guy started coming to our church. And, and in those days, we would actually look for revivals to go to that other churches were having. Y'all ever heard of stuff like that? And there was a little church in Alapahal, Georgia, if you ever heard of that place, and they were a guy there preaching. And so my uncle and my first cousin and this guy and myself, we went to that revival on one of the nights of it. And we went there and, and you know, listen to that guy preach, great service, and we, would get, we got in the car. My, I remember my uncle had a little old Ford Fiesta, a little orange Ford Fiesta, and I was sitting in the back ride, and this guy was sitting over here, and my cousin up front, my uncle's driving, and normally after we'd leave a revival service, we'd want to stop by the store, get something to eat or drink, or either stop by, you know, but there wasn't no Burger King to go by in Lapa Hall, so we, we just headed on back to the house, and I remember, you know, I felt the Lord's presence, and I've had that happen to me a lot of times where I felt like, you know, that God would literally say, I'm supposed to speak to you. And I, and I took my Bible and I put it up over my eyes and I was sitting there like this. And, and he, all of a sudden, this guy sitting right next to me real loud starts speaking in tongues. Now, that's unusual. After you leave a revival service, the guy just bust off in tongues in the back seat of the car. And God's presence, do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? The manifested presence of God wasn't just, it was just, you know, you can call it goosebumps, you can call it whatever. And I'd been around that all the time. I wasn't scared of the guy speaking in tongues. But the, I knew that God was speaking specifically. This guy spoke in tongues. And then you know what he did? He turned around and interpreted what he just said. 
And this is what he said. Behold, I have given you the gift to speak my word. Be not afraid to speak that that I have given unto thee. Don't look to the left nor to the right. And everything that that preacher had said to me uh, a year or so ago, that brother said, except God changed it from prophecy to speak my word because he knows I'm having trouble getting this. And the presence of God was, and all I was did. Now, I don't think nobody else in the car even knew what was going on as far as what the significance of that moment. They knew the power of God was in that car. And this may sound weird and, you know, really weird to you, you know, but this is just my story. But we were going down the back road from Alapa Hall back to Adel Sparks. And so when that happened and he interpreted the presence of God was so strong, my uncle stopped the car. If you knew my uncle, you'd know that would be his personal. He stopped the car and got out, and he starts running up and down the road, praising God, speaking in tongues. And everybody bails out the car but me. I always thought what the law would do that night if they'd have come around the corner and saw us. We'd all been breathing into the breathalyzer. You know what I'm talking about? And Because uh, we, all three of them was running up and down the road and Shundai, shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito, Suzuki, Honda. You know what I mean. They, they're just praising God. And I'm sitting in the back of the car just weeping because I knew in that moment, and I never talked to him about it, that God had spoken to me again about speaking his word. And those kind of things just kept on happening, you know, from time to time. And, and yet I was still just a real guy that would doubt it. I, you know, trouble, life comes, piles on. And, 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 and you know, and it just I, I knew God was calling me. Well, in my job as a paramedic, I got promoted to chief. That's another story. And in January the 1st of 1985, I was now the chief of the emergency medical. I'd been a street medic, paramedic for six years. And it was just really unheard of for me to be that young, 26 years old, and be promoted to that kind of position. But part of it, I was mandated to move to Tifton. I had to move to Tifton and be in the city limits, actually, in those days uh, of, of my job. And, and yet God was still calling me to minister the gospel. And yet God was gentle with me. He wasn't shoving me. He wasn't pushing me. And, 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 uh, and, and in those days, a lot of things was going on in my life. And uh, I know a lot of you have heard me tell, but this is just my story. But, but one of the things that was happening to me is my wife was pregnant with our daughter, our second kid. I just got promoted to a job and literally didn't have any training uh, they just basically handed me the keys. I was a street medic, but I didn't know how to be the chief. I didn't know how to do budgets and present budgets proposals to county commissioners. And, and, and all, all the pressure that came with that was real. And, in fact, nobody had ever been the chief in that county since an ambulance service started for more than 24 months. Within, within the first two years, they would all resign or be fired. The pressure was just too no, nobody even wanted to fool with it, and yet God had spoken to me to, have, to, to go into that position. And by the way, I stayed in the chief for 12 years and left when I wanted to, uh, and I still hold the tenure for the longest chief that there's been in Tiff County Emergency Medical Service but because God put me there. But I remember being in there, and, 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 and so many things was going on in my life, and, and I went into a depression that was so real, so tangible. It was just, it was a horrible uh, a time. And it did not go, it wasn't a week, it wasn't a couple of days, it was four months. 
I got physically sick. I could not eat. I threw up every day of my life. No exaggerations in none of this. I went to the doctor. He meted me in the hospital. They gave me fluids. I was dehydrated. They endoscoped me. They said, your stomach lining is raw. It's been, you know, that's why you can't keep any food down. He took the pictures and showed them to us and put me on, you know, over $100 a month of medicine, which was a lot back then to have to pay. And that's all kind of stuff. And, 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 and then... And then I didn't get any better, and, and time rocked along, and I couldn't eat, and I was losing weight, and, and I was praying to ever, you know, go to meet with this pastor, my former pastor. And then I had moved to Tifton, so I had a new pastor at the church there, and I'd meet with that guy, and I would have people pray for me. And all I felt like doing was crying all the time. Listen, I know what it is to be depressed, and I know what it is to be depressed as a Christian and feel like a bum because a Christian ain't supposed to be depressed. And people would say, don't be depressed. And I'd say, how you do that? People would say, snap out of it. How do you snap? If I knew how to snap, I'd be done snap. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't get it. Why are you trying to tell me to cure myself? And then I would told you, I've t you've heard me say, I've told people, I had people say, one guy told me I needed to stand on my Bible barefooted, you know, and pray this certain prayer. I did it. I didn't draw a crowd. I just did it in my own privacy in my home because I'm trying to get free. I don't care what I got to do. You know, and then another guy told me, he said, you need to pray over your house, anoint all your oil with olive oil, all your doors, windows, and everything, and pray this prayer. My house smelled like olive oil. You thought you was coming in an Italian's home when you walked in our house. I mean, I, I tried every little thing that they said, and I was none better. And, 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 and it was getting serious, so serious that my dad met me to see a doctor. He actually still practices here in Valdosta today. Uh, him and his son are both doctors now. And I, I went and saw this guy. He was my family practitioner, and I saw him. And he said, Dale, we've got to put you back in the hospital again, man. You're, you're in bad shape. You're dehydrated again. I, you know, and, and, and so he walked out of the room, and I, my dad was standing there so concerned. Dad, I said, Dad, go get him. I'm not going back in the hospital. He said, son, you got to go. You heard what he said. He said, I said, I'm not going. And I was just kind of reached the end. And he went and got him, and the doctor came back. And he wasn't happy with me. He said, you, you're, doing, you're, not going to, you're not going to do what I tell you? And I said, no, I'm not going back in the hospital. He said, well, I'm going to write you up uh, AMA. And I knew as a paramedic, I knew against medical advice. And you're, you, I'm going to write it up in my chart. And he said, listen to me. And he got right in my face. And, he, and my dad was standing right by my side. He said, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to physically die if you don't get a hold of yourself. He said, you understand the words I'm telling you? He said, you will die, sir. You will physically die. He said, you're on a downward spiral, and if this is not broken, you will not live. He said, you understand me? I said, yes, sir. I had tears running down my face. I walked out of that office, nonetheless, stood out there at my car. I lived in Tifton. My dad lived in Adel, and I was in Adel. I said, Daddy, you heard what he said. I said, if somebody don't get a hold of God for me, I'm done for. I'm, I'm done for. My dad stood there and wept, and he said, son, I don't know what else to do. I've prayed every prayer I know to pray for you. I said, well, I love you, Daddy. I got in the car, headed to Tifton, had to pull over about Lennox and throw, hang my head out to try to throw up. And ain't got nothing to throw up. That's a bad feeling, isn't it? And I was at the bottom of the barrel. And let me tell you this. My cousin, 10 months older than me, was in Jackson State Prison. He had been to Reedsville Prison, served several years. Now he's in Jackson State Prison, habitual DUI violator. He's in Jackson Prison. We had not communicated in years, many years. He has a vision in prison. 
And he writes that vision down on paper and mails it to his daddy where his daddy works. This is how the vision goes. He says, Daddy, and I have the letter, I assure you. But he said, Daddy, I had a dream about Dale the other night that was more real than any dream that I've ever had. Therefore, I believe it was a vision from God. He said, I saw Dale in this, in this vision, and his face was very sad. Tears were coming out of his eyes, and he was crying. And he said that it was snowing all around him. And he said that he was trying to walk through the snow. And he said he reached down and grabbed two crutches. And he said the more he used the crutches to try to, to walk, he said the deeper into the snow he went. He said, I heard a voice from heaven say to Dale, throw down those crutches. And he said the look on my face seemed it was the wrong thing to do. And I continued to struggle for a while. But finally, he said, Dale threw down his crutches. And at that very moment, he said, the sun came out and his face changed to a bright glow. And he raised both of his arms and began to praise and magnify God. And while he had his arms raised, Daddy, he said, a suit of armor descended from heaven and slipped over his body. He said, now the sun that had come out now had melted all the snow and turned it into a great big lake. And he said, but this lake was full of fish, but these fish had the faces of men, but they looked like they had been attacked and mangled all over. And he said, Dale reached down and picked up a reel and began to cast it into that lake. And he began to catch those fish. And as he would reel them in, he would reach down to lift them out. And they would change to full flesh men and raise their arms and praise and magnify God. You feel that hair standing on the end? See, that's the manifest presence of God you're feeling right now. As I tell that testimony, God's confirming to you that what I'm saying is real. That's God's presence. There's no price that can do that. Where my uncle worked was a place called ITT. It was this building that you're sitting in. And next to my office now was his office. Our offices are still configured as the way they were when ITT ran this factory that is now Grace Point Church. My uncle worked in this very building. And, that, and he called me from this building to the Amlet service I worked at in Tifton. And he said, Dale, you got a minute? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I want to read a letter to you that I got from Phil. He mailed here to, the, to where I work. And he read that letter to me on the phone. And I sat there, and the power of God came on me. And I wept, and I also felt healing. I felt like somebody had poured hot, not too, just warm, viscous fluid down my throat, down my esophagus, and I felt it go into my stomach and just swirl. And what was happening in that moment was God was healing me. I had lost down to 29 inches in the waist. I had not eaten a full meal in over four months. I had, was living off of Gatorade and broth. That's the truth. My wife was terrified that I would not live. I didn't go home and eat a steak that night because my system couldn't have took it, but I was better instantly. And slowly, day by day, all that went away, and God delivered me from that. God used that. Now, anybody that hears that vision knows that that person's being called to preach. Now, you would think after something so significant that I would have went the next day and started preaching, but I'm hard-headed. I really, I wanted Gabriel to beam down and hand me a Holy Ghost fax. You know what I'm saying? I wanted him to burn two holes in my carpet with his footprints and leave me some angel feathers where I could prove to y'all 
that I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I still didn't go. I wasn't resisting God. I didn't think. I just didn't go. And God didn't do all that depression to me. I, I did that to myself. But God healed me. God came to me. God delivered me. If you're suffering from depression, I promise you God's delivering you from it. I promise you. What put me in that hole is I believed the wrong things about God, about me, and about my life and my future. And all that pressure of all that had me, had me, had my eggs scrambled, man, in a bad way. God will never leave you alone. He's always going to be there to pursue you and reach out for you. And, and, and that's a wonderful story. And, and, I, I, you know, and right after that, I felt like God told me to move back to Cook County. I just knew God told me to do that. And in my heart, I said, God, you, you know i got to live here in the city limits of Tifton to have my chief's job. And all I could felt like God said was move back to Cook County. I was so determined to obey God that I scheduled an appointment with the chairman of the county commissioners. His name was Charles Kent, and I met with him. And I said, Mr. Kent, I said, I'd only been on the job for like six, eight months. And I said, I'd like to move back to Cook County. And I realize it says in the manual that i got to live in the city limits, but I'd like to move back to Cook County. I just wanted to ask you that. And if he had told me that day you can't, you know, I would have said, well, I'd like to tender my resignation as the chief. I'd, I would have said I'd like to go back on the street as a paramedic, but I was prepared to do that. I was, I was so intent on obeying God. And he, he stood, he, he was sitting there listening to me, and I could see him thinking. And, I, you know, he knew what it said in the manual. He wrote it. He said, well, son, you can live wherever you want to as far as I'm concerned. He said, your job ain't to run up here and run calls. Your job's administrative. He said, I don't care where you drive from to get to work. He said, just do your job as a chief and live where you want to. The department couldn't believe that they let me move back to Cook County. But I didn't know that God was setting me up to eventually start a church there called Cornerstone. And God wanted me there in that place to birth that ministry and to birth that church. I didn't know what God was doing in my life. But that's what God was up to. And, and so, so we, we, we moved back there. And I remember living in little apartments because it's the only thing. One thing about Sister Jill, she wants clean, and she demands it. You know what I'm saying? And the only thing we could find to rent that was clean was some apartments. And I'd always boasted when we first got married, we lived in apartments. And I told her when we moved out, I'm, I'll never live in apartments again. I promise you that. Well, I moved right back in apartments. And I remember we were living there. I was working five days a week as a chief. I remember I come home on one Friday night, and, and God was still dealing with me. I never uttered a word to my wife that I was calling me to preach. And I went to a little place in town to pick us up some supper, a little pizza place. And I was going to run up there and get us some pizza and bring it back. And we, we had, had Justin was the only kid we had, and, and, and Kristen was a, just a little baby. But run up there to get something. And, and in those days, I was still had a lot of religion in me. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, some of that. I, I, you know, we, I, we kept our radio on WAFT FM 101. <laughs> That's about all, in case you don't know. Christian channel, you know. And uh, so we had it just, or we had just, the dial was set there. So I was riding back to those apartments, and I turned the radio on. And sometimes they would read the Bible. They would sing songs. They would have preaching whatever it was, I turned it on, and this is honest God truth. As soon as I clicked it on, this is what I heard. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example unto the believers in word, in faith, in doctrine. Till I come, give thyself wholly to these things. And in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. 
And the power of God filled that little car, just me and God. And in that moment, even though sitting in that right front seat was a pizza and some stuff for the family, I felt like Jesus was sitting there. I didn't see him, but I felt like he was just as real and he was just there. And I remember pulling up into the parking uh, spot in that apartment complex, and, and, and I, I felt like the Lord was just sitting there looking at me. And, 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 and this is what I heard if I'm standing here. This is what I heard God say to me. He said, son, how much evidence will I have to give you before you'll obey me and preach my gospel? Sitting in that car, I started weeping. I said, Jesus, I will go. I'll go. You would have thought I'd have told my wife about that that night. That was on Friday night. We go another, until Wednesday, I, I scheduled a meeting with my pastor after the service Wednesday night. Remember when we had Wednesday night and you people went to church a lot? Those days. And I, it was Brother Carlton Ring. I said, Brother Ring, I want to meet with you after church, talk to you just a few minutes if I can. He said, yes, sir, I'll be fine. Meet me in my office. I said, Brother Ring, I said, God's called me to preach. And I just wanted you to be the first to hear it out of my mouth. He said, son, I've known that for years. I was just wondering when you'd know it. He said, you preach next Wednesday. You got the next Wednesday service. I said, wait, now wait, wait. I said, I ain't saying I, I'm talking about in the future. He said, didn't you just tell me God called you to preach? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're preaching next Wednesday. I said, okay, that's how I started. I went home that night and I told my wife. Went the next morning, I met with my dad in his office. I said, Daddy, God's called me to preach. I thought my whole family was going to think I was nuts. I said, Daddy, God's called me to preach. He said, Son, I've been knowing that. I just wasn't wondering when you was ever going to figure it out. My grandmother stopped by to see the Kristen, the little baby. We still, little baby girl. She stopped by to see her. And so I said, Well, me, Ma, God's called me to preach. She busts off speaking in tongues, went to doing the little shuffle, all that. She said, I've known it for years, son. I'm like, everybody knew this but me. And God called me into the ministry, and we started. I started the ministry, and, and it seemed like when I told everybody, I was, like the preachers in churches, then they would be like, because they didn't want a new rookie guy trying out on them. And so the invitations didn't come. And there wasn't a lot of people wanting me to preach. And I'd preach in my home church, but there wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't like I thought. I thought within six, eight months, I'd be done, be like Billy Graham. I'd be done one in the world. I mean, I was so into I'm like, I've been wrestling this for three and a half years. Now it's time to get going with it. But it wasn't much going. And I got a little discouraged. I know you ain't supposed to. And I remember, and I'm going to end with this. I remember how that, that uh, you know, I, 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 uh, her parents had moved out to a place called Chandler, Texas. Jeannie used to live there, uh, out from Tyler, Texas. And they were living there, and, and so we were going to go spend Thanksgiving with them. And I, I'd only been preaching now six, eight months. And so we go out there, and I was in the Church of God denomination at that time, and in that little area, I, I, we, I, they wasn't one, and they were attending the Assembly of God. And I thought, well, it ain't good as a church of God, but I'll give them a try. And so, you know, so me and her dad went to the Thanksgiving service, community-wide Thanksgiving service, and that was like Tuesday night prior to Thursday Thanksgiving. And, and Jill stayed helping her mama. They were cooking and baking pies and cakes and doing stuff, and we were excited to be there. But I told my, 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 my father-in-law, you know, I'd go to church with you. And he said, well, just me and you will go then. 
And so we went, and they had a Baptist guy. And I, I, I'm, I like everybody, okay? So I'm just telling you how the story goes. I'm not, not, I don't mean anything by that. But there was a Baptist guy was, was the guest speaker, and he preached a nice Thanksgiving sermon, you know. And we got the whole church full of all kinds of people. We got Catholics in there. We got Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, Church of God, Nazarene, Tangerine. We got them all, okay? They're all in there. And everybody's thinking about Thanksgiving and football and turkey and, and, you know, let's be thankful. Glory to God. That kind of deal. And, and usually, I don't mean this bad, but in those services, I've been to a lot of them, there's not usually a whole lot of exciting things happen because you get such a mixture in there. But it's kind of an ecumenical service. Everybody just be nice, love everybody, and that kind of deal. So when they got through, the pastor's name was Lynn Hildreth. He comes back and takes charge of the service, and he said, wasn't that a good sermon? And everybody, yeah, yeah, it was good. And so we're, everybody stand. he said, everybody rise for the benediction. We finna go home, y'all. It's over. We get to go. Everybody stand up. You see people putting their coats on, women strapping on their purses. They're getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, the presence of God, you could feel it. I felt it. I had no idea what God was up to. I had doubted, you know, like, how, how am I going to do this preaching thing? I'm not going to invite myself anywhere. Uh, what about the finances? How will I be taken care of financially if I quit my job and I do this preaching thing? I was worried because I got a, I got a, you know, wife now and two little babies, and, and you know, I, I was just, I, I was having a lot of questions, and I'd only been doing this six, eight months. And is anybody going to let me preach? I don't, I ain't seen no invitations. I thought I was called to preach. Where's the open doors and all that? And so this, all these thoughts were just private. I hadn't even told my wife, anybody. These thoughts were private. And, and, and so this guy, you know, says, all right for the benediction. So we're standing there. I'm standing there with my, by my father-in-law. We, you know, we got our head bowed ready for the prayer. And, and he says, uh, everybody look at me. And he just starts, you see him start doing no radar thing, I call it. He's just looking around. And, and he says, uh, you, sir, he said, I, I'd like to pray for you. And... Uh, and people are going, you know, he said, no, not you, not you. The guy standing back there, yeah, you. And it was me. And so then he speaks to me prophetically. And, and, he's, and, and so what he says to me, and he, he don't even wait till I come down there. He starts prophesying to me right there. He says, for know this, God has called you to preach his word. And he says, know that God will make a way before you, before you go. And the financial, and, and he just, every secret that I was worried about, God answered in that prophecy. Detailed, specific prophecy to a man who had never even seen me. I'm 750 miles from my house. I'm not even in the same denominational system. And yet God is speaking to me through the gifts that are spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12. And God spoke to me and answered every little private prayer I had prayed. And then when I got through with that, he said, come down here and let me lay hands on you. And I went down there and he laid his hand. But the real touch doesn't happen to me standing back there with tears running down my face. And my father-in-law was just standing there looking at me. And then when I started back to my seat, and remember, everybody's still standing for the benediction. Okay? Listen, it ain't over till it's over. And it ain't ever over with God. He said, wait a minute. He said, now, I know we done took a community-wide offering tonight for whatever project they were doing. He said, but I want my ushers to go get the plates, the bags, or whatever they have. He said, I want you to stand at the back door of the church, and on your way out tonight, he said, I want you to obey God. For God just spoke to me and said, this man has a financial need in his life that we need to be used to meet. Now, what had happened to me was in the summer, 
we, we were in November, Thanksgiving. In the summer, I was at a emergency medical service conference at Jekyll Island and had an emergency appendicitis attack hit me. Had to come straight home in emergency surgery before it ruptured. It left me owing, don't sound like a lot after my insurance pay, but it left me owing $750 at the hospital. Now, that don't sound like much, but that, that amount of money was worrying me. I wanted that off of me. And I owed that hospital $750, and I had told them I'll pay them monthly. That's what I owed them is $750 exactly at that moment. I done paid them. I owed more, but I had got it down to $750. Listen to me. After the service, the pastor come back here, and he introduced himself. He said, now, who are you? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. I said, I'm from Georgia. I'm here visiting my father-in-law. He said, oh, you kin to, to Chip? And I said, yeah. And I said, that's my father-in-law. And I said, we're here to spend Thanksgiving. He said, well, I, listen, it's going to take us a few minutes to count the offering. I know where they live. It's on my way home. I'll stop and give it the offering to you on after service. That way you don't have to wait. And I said, no, I need my money now, bro. No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't, okay, I'm just saying if you're listening. I'm just saying if you're listening. I, I said, yes, sir, that'll be fine. I go to the house. I'm so pumped that God has spoken to me out in Texas. And I tell my wife and my mother-in-law what happened. And they're like, oh, man, we missed it. Should have went. <laughs> Let them pies bake themselves, baby, next time. See what y'all missed. And I told them we was excited. In a little while, the doorbell rang. And I went and answered it because, we, of course, we knew it was him. He, I remember him and his wife stepped in. And he, he shook my hand. He took my hand. And I could feel that Holy Ghost check in there. You know what I'm saying? He had it in the handshake. You ever had people do that to you at church? Hand you some money or something? And he, and, and he said, listen to me. God was so using this assembly of God pastor in my life. He, he, and, he, and, and so I knew there was a check in there. He said, now on the way over here, God spoke to me and told me that, this, that, that the amount would be significant to you. And I want you to look at it and don't just put it in your pocket. So I took and opened the check up and it was $750. Come on now, that's worth some praise. And, and this, is what, this is what Lynn Hildreth said to me. He said, God told me to tell you that this is one way that he is tangibly proving to you that he will meet your needs financially. You obey him, son, and you preach the gospel. Now that man come over and got me in one side of the living room and sat down there by me and started talking to me. And then that pastor's wife got my wife and got her on the other side. And she sat down there. And those two people, God used them to pour into our lives. And, they, and it was such an encouragement to us just getting started out. And I remember I was so excited. I came home. And I, but I cashed that check at the bank out in Chandler because I wasn't sure they'd cash a Texas check in Georgia. You know what I'm talking about? So I, 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 went, I remember I went through the drive-thru, and it was such a big deal to me. I was wondering if they'd even actually ca uh, you know, cash it for me. So I endorsed it and had to them sitting there nervous. And here they handed me $750. And I went right back to the 8 Memorial Hospital, and I throwed that money out there, and I didn't owe them no more. And that little burden of that was gone. And it was the one way that God began to prove to me, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going. And listen to me. I, I could tell you story after story after story. Listen, God began to prove to me, and, and, and years later, this is what God said to me. It, it seemed like in those first few years, there were so many financial things that God would do for me like that that you just couldn't say it was coincidence. And, and this is what God said. He said, this is one way that I'm showing you that, I, that I'm, I'm here for you. And if you, believe, if you can believe me in the financial arena of your life, then I'm looking for you to believe me in the bigger things, like the healings of cancer and the healing of these diseases, and to be used of me. And, and, and I've seen God do it so many times. This is the God that you and I serve. He, he's real. 
And, and he, he knows the hairs of your head are numbered by him. He, he knows every specific need that you have. And if you're battling with depression, I promise you, God's concerned and God knows about it. And you're not a nut, and, 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 but the truth is what makes you free. The truth about God, the truth about yourself, the truth about your future. And sometimes when you're depressed, you want to just close the blinds, shut everything off, and just sit in there. But that's not because you're meditating on the wrong thing. Don't tell me you don't know how to meditate. That's what worry is. Worry is thinking about the wrong things for too long. And that's called meditating. But the Bible actually teaches meditation. You know, people don't talk about it. But you're to meditate on the Word of God. You're to meditate on the promises of God. See, it doesn't matter if you're sitting here being worried about you got financial needs. I mean, it may be 7,500, not 750. But it's what's big to you. I mean, it's no big deal to God. But God's got your future. God's got your present. You, 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 and you, you just have to trust him. And, and listen, God's going to communicate to you exactly what you need in the way that you need it. See, with me, sometimes I was so hard-headed, God had to, to use a lot of evidence to get me to do what he wanted me to do. It wasn't because I, I didn't judge myself as so much resisting him being, I don't want to do that. I just wanted to be sure it was the Lord. I just wanted to know that I knew that I knew that I knew that this was God. And God has given me far more. And, and sometimes, I, you know, even now, and listen, I don't think I'm nothing. You, you know that. I hope you know that. But sometimes I just sit there in the quietness of my life with God. And it hits me sometimes. I don't think about it much. But I go, God called me. God chose me. I, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't even volunteer. I was drafted. And, 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 and sometimes I look out and I don't see the number of people that I want to see. I don't see the miracles and the healings that I want to see. And yet I have to be reminded that God's the one that called me to do this. And God used this because that little story I told you about my uncle calling me from this building, and I know I've told you some of you before, when I first got here and I first released the church that I was at, running a whole lot more people, I don't mean that derogatory, I just running a whole lot more people than I was preaching to here. And it took me a while to cut that loose. And I, but I knew God wanted me here. And I finally cut that loose. And I said, I'm full-time here. No more back to, back to. I'm here. And I thought when I'd done that, be honest with you, I don't mean this arrogant. I thought, you know, next Sunday we'd have a big old house full. It just didn't happen. I mean, one Sunday I looked, I have counted 74 people, myself. And I don't never count. And I was getting discouraged. And I was like, man, what have I done? And, uh, and I remember there was a guy I'd never seen before since. He, we was doing Wednesday night in those days because you guys didn't know me. I didn't know you. I was trying. I was just teaching on Wednesday. Had all our home groups here, just trying to get to know everybody. And, and I remember that Wednesday night, a guy walked up, and he's standing around in here. And he says, you know, it sure is funny seeing this place as a church. He said, I used to work here when it was ITT. I didn't know this was ITT. He said, uh, your last name is Young, right? And I, I said, yes, sir. He said, you ain't kin to Jimmy Young? I said, that's my uncle. He said, man, I used to, he used to be my boss. I worked right here in this building with him. And then it hit me. I did not even know that this was the place that, that Uncle Jimmy called me from when he got the letter from Field in prison. And when I walked out of that building that night, and it was Southland at that time, I walked out and got my car and my truck, and I sat out and cried because I felt the Lord say to me, Son, I still got everything planned out. 
And here is just a little faith token for you to stick in your pocket to jingle around when you get discouraged. You're right where I told you to be, doing exactly what I've told you to do. And, and, and Come on, stand to your feet. I love you too, brother. Amen. Now listen, you going through something today, any of that that I've said that really touched the cord in your heart, I'm not going to make no to-do about it, but would you just come and stand across the front and let me just end this by praying for you? Sister, today is your day, sister. Today is your day. God has had me see you the whole service. Yes, I'm telling you, things are changing this day for you. I promise you. I promise you. Come on, I'm waiting for you. God bless you. Man, I love you guys. Elders, come in here and get behind these people. Elders, wives, leaders. Pastor Keith, would you come, brother? Oh, man. Johanna, could you slip away, baby, and come back up here with us? We love you guys. I just want them to stand up so you know you're surrounded by a family, people that love you and care for you. I hope something good come out of this today. It's not that I don't preach the Bible and tell story, you know, the, I, I do the preaching and read the scriptures, you know that. But what you're going to remember these stories, and you've got a story, and people are going to remember yours just as good as they do mine. You just got to tell it to somebody. God's going to give you the opportunity. God's going to give you the audience. I'm asking for you this year for us to make 20. You know, don't sit around and wait. We're going to make 2022 better than 2021 because it lies in us to do that. We're going to make it better. And not only, not only is our goal to make it better for ourselves, but to make it better for other people that need to hear the truth of how much God loves them, how much he's concerned about their daily lives on this planet. And he has a destiny and a purpose and a plan for your life just like he does mine. And it might not be and probably won't be to be preaching behind some pulpit somewhere, but what God's called you to do is just as important to the kingdom as what God's called me to do. If it wasn't for Pastor Keith doing what he's doing, I wonder how many souls be in hell. You see what I'm saying? But God's put him in a place where he has a per. And, man, I know it's tough, brother. I know it's tough. Just financially trying to keep that, that ship afloat, you know. But I know I heard him many years. He said, this ain't mine. <laughs> he said he'd do like I told him. Like I say, this ain't my church. This church, this you know, when sometimes we, fuss, I, you know, I fuss with God about this roof around. I said, God, this ain't, this ain't my, it's your roof. It's your roof leaking. This ain't my roof leaking. You, you got to help us here. This, and I just, you know, I don't mean that arrogantly, but, but, but I just remind myself and the Lord like he needs to be reminded. This ain't about me. This is your ministry. This is your people. When I was coming to church today, I said, Lord, they're going to gather in your name today. Please feed them. Give them gifts. If there's any sick among them, heal them, Lord. Because <laughs> Papa loves his sheep, boy. He loves you. He loves his sheep. He's a good shepherd. He already proved that by laying his life down for the sheep. And he loves you today, my sister. And I just want to, can I lay hands on you? One of the elders, will you come stand here? Come on, Becky, just come stand. I don't know you, darling. don't know anything about you. And if the Lord does say something to me, I sure say it. But if he don't, I just wanted to put man. And I, I promise you, and I don't say glib things, to just be saying them. 
but today is a day of change for you in, in so many areas of your life. I rebuke the depression that has hounded you. <laughs> I command it to go in the name of Jesus. Your depression leaves you now in Jesus' name. I, I, I rebuke that. I command it. It's gone. It's gone. Today is the day that the sun comes out for you, melts away your burdens. Your depression goes now in Jesus' name. You believe that? How in the world would I know that except the Lord reveal it to me? And if he reveals, he heals. Amen. <laughs> Come on, give God praise. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Oh, Papa is so good, isn't he? Amen. Just sit there and enjoy it. Amen. Y'all just hang out with her. It don't take God long. It don't take God long. Just like that, a life has changed forever. You know what she'll never forget? She'll never forget this day that the Lord encountered her. And that depression went away like shooing off birds from the carcass. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Kenny, son, right here. Come here, buddy. <laughs> Yo. Oh, you know, God's got, it's your day too, buddy. <laughs> oh. All those dreams that God's given you are from him. They're not from your head. They're not from your own making. You'll walk in those things that God's put in your heart. God's called you from an early age. Don't you think that all that stuff's not going to happen, that God has shown you? And you're, you're, God has filled you with vision. God has filled you with vision and a desire for much, much more than you're currently experiencing. Am I right? You're going to see every bit of it, buddy. Father, I bless you for this man. I thank you for the purposes that you have revealed to him in his life, and I thank you that he's walking that out in fullness in that time, in that appointed time, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I love you, buddy. Amen. Amen. Listen, let me just pray for you. I know. God, we tell me pray for everybody. He's shaking his head. Oh, yeah. Y'all ain't worried about 12 noon hitting the clock, are you? Let me just pray for you, and then if the Lord specifically draws me to somebody else, I promise you I'll come. But whether he does or nothing, you know he loves you just the same as he does these precious people. Some, you know, I look at your stories. I look at your lives. Some of you I know saying some things I don't know. I don't even know your name, but I know God knows your story. God knows your story. He knows where you are in the journey right now today. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, as you look upon these people, you know the reason and the purpose for which they're standing here. They've heard the testimony. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus and what he's done in our lives. And I thank you, God, that your word declares that repeat it again, Lord, do it again. So we say renew your works again even in our day. 
And let us, Lord God, be instruments of your grace and of your kingdom and of your love. For it is the goodness of God that calls men to repent and change their mind of how they see you and how they see themselves. Let there be radical Damascus Road experiences, Lord. Let there be radical changes in people's lives, even in this moment. Just as radical as you did and encountered uh, Paul on that road where he had such a wrong view of who you were and how you were and how you saw people. Father, I declare radical change, Lord God, in individuals, even in this ministry and church. 2022 will be different because we'll make it different. Because we'll stand in faith. We'll pray for the sick. We'll lay hands on them and see them recover. We'll do the things, God, that you commanded us to do. We'll be an ambassador for you. We will represent you to this world who needs to know that they are not orphans, but God is their father. Father, I bless these people. Father, I pray for every financial concern and need of their heart that you would confirm to them and show them and demonstrate that you will meet their needs just like you've met mine. You are called the provider. You would not wear that name if it was not true. Lord, I praise you for your provision for these people, for your concern for their finances in their life. Give them wisdom to walk in the financial wisdom of God and to go and do, Lord God, that you've called them to do. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that the sick among us being healed right now in Jesus' name. By your stripes, they were healed in Jesus' name. Father, we praise you for today. Just everybody lift your hand to the Lord. It's just a, a sign of just absolute praise and honor to him. Oh, we love you, Father. We're loved by you. We praise you for it. We praise you for it, Lord. Amen. Don't you love God? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, go and sin no more. How about that? Love you guys. God bless you.